O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom for ever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I am so glad that you're joining in with me today. Today is Friday, August 27th. I want to draw your attention to a pick on the navigation menu on the Daily Audio Torah website. It is found under Our Projects and Partners. Select Torah House Global Prayer Network. This is a call to believers throughout the nations everywhere to take a place on the wall of prayer and to raise up a standard against the rising evil and lawlessness that we see in our nations and in our culture. Let me share with you from their vision statement. The Torah House is an imaginary space where we meet each Arab Shabbat at 9 p.m. We all pray from our own location and in our own time zone. Together, we will enter into the virtual Torah House every Arab Shabbat at 9 p.m. your local time. His set-apart people will meet with Yeshua in His Torah House. Community prayer is of tremendous value because as we pray of one heart, mind, and purpose, great power is released into the heavens. We begin our prayer time with the great shofar blast and enter Yahovah's courts with praise. We come against the relentless tide of evil that is swallowing up the nations. We ask our Father to establish His Torah in our city, our region, and our nation. Each month there is a featured prayer theme for the month so that together we can focus our prayers on the prayer theme for that month. Go to thetorahouse.com to see the prayer theme for this month. To learn more or to sign up to become a partner, coordinator, or member, go to thetorahouse.com and find out more. Join with others throughout the nations every Friday night at 9 p.m. your time, as together we raise up a symphony of prayer to Abba Father in seeking His face and crying out to Him for the remnant to return to the God of Israel and to His great and glorious Torah. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Kitavo, and it means, When You Enter In. Deuteronomy 28, 42-68 
Swarms of insects will destroy your trees and crops. The foreigners living among you will become stronger and stronger, while you become weaker and weaker. They will lend money to you, but you will not lend to them. They will be the head, and you will be the tail. If you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and to obey the commands and decrees He has given you, all these curses will pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed. These horrors will serve as a sign and warning among you and your descendants forever. If you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundant benefits you have received, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. You will be left hungry, thirsty, naked, and lacking in everything. The Lord will put an iron yoke on your neck, oppressing you harshly until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a distant nation against you from the end of the earth, and it will swoop down on you like a vulture. It is a nation whose language you do not understand, a fierce and heartless nation that shows no respect for the old and no pity for the young. Its armies will devour your livestock and crops, and you will be destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine, olive oil, calves, or lambs, and you will starve to death. They will attack your cities until all the fortified walls in your land, the walls you trusted to protect you, are knocked down. They will attack all the towns in the land the Lord your God has given you. The siege and terrible distress of the enemy's attack will be so severe that you will eat the flesh of your own sons and daughters whom the Lord your God has given you. The most tender-hearted man among you will have no compassion for his own brother, his beloved wife, and his surviving children. He will refuse to share with them the flesh he is devouring, the flesh of one of his own children, because he has nothing else to eat during the siege and terrible distress that your enemy will inflict on all your towns. The most tender and delicate woman among you, so delicate she would not so much as touch the ground with her foot, will be selfish toward her husband that she loves and toward her own son or daughter. She will hide from them the afterbirth and the new baby she has born so that she herself can secretly eat them. She will have nothing else to eat during the siege and the terrible distress that your enemy will inflict on all your towns. If you refuse to obey all the words of instruction that are written in this book, and if you do not fear the glorious and awesome name of Yahweh your Elohim, then Yahweh will overwhelm you and your children with indescribable plagues. These plagues will be intense and without relief, making you miserable and unbearably sick. He will afflict you with all the diseases of Egypt that you feared so much, and you will have no relief. The Lord will afflict you with every sickness and plague there is, even those not mentioned in this book of instruction, until you are destroyed. Though you become as numerous as the stars in the sky, few of you will be left, because you would not listen to Yahweh your Elohim. Just as the Lord has found great pleasure in causing you to prosper and multiply, 
The Lord will find pleasure in destroying you. You will be torn from the land you are about to enter and occupy. For the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship foreign gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods made of wood and stone. There among those nations you will find no peace or place to rest, and the Lord will cause your heart to tremble, your eyesight to fail, and your soul to despair. Your life will constantly hang in the balance. You will live night and day in fear, unsure if you will survive. In the morning you will say, If only it were night. And in the evening you will say, If only it were morning. For you will be terrified by the awful horrors you see around you. Then the Lord will send you back to Egypt in ships, to a destination I promised you would never see again. There you will offer to sell yourselves to your enemies as slaves. But no one will buy you. Job 23.1-27.23 Then Job spoke again, My complaint today is still a bitter one, and I try hard not to groan aloud. If only I knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand what he says to me. Would he use his great power to argue with me? No. He would give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him, so I would be forever acquitted by my judge. I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. But he knows where I am going, and when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. For I have stayed on God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. But once he has made his decision, who can change his mind? Whatever he wants to do, he does. So he will do to me whatever he has planned. He controls my destiny. No wonder I am so terrified in his presence. When I think of it, terror grips me. God has made me sick at heart. The Almighty has terrified me. Darkness is all around me. Thick, impenetrable darkness is everywhere. Why doesn't the Almighty bring the wicked to judgment? Why must the godly wait for him in vain? Evil people steal land by moving the boundary markers. They they steal livestock and put them in their own pastures. They take the orphan's donkey and demand the widow's ox as security for a loan. The poor are pushed off the path. The needy must hide together for safety. Like wild donkeys in the wilderness, the poor must spend all their time looking for food, searching even in the desert for food for their children. They harvest a field they do not own, and they glean in the vineyards of the wicked. All night they lie naked in the cold without clothing or covering. They are soaked by mountain showers, and they huddle against the rocks for want of a home. The wicked snatch a widow's child from her breast, taking the baby as security for a loan. The poor must go about naked without any clothing. They harvest food for others while they themselves are starving. They press out olive oil without being allowed to taste it. 
and they tread in the winepress as they suffer from thirst. The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the wounded cry for help. Yet God ignores their moaning. Wicked people rebel against the light. They refuse to acknowledge its ways or stay in its paths. The murderer rises in the early dawn to kill the poor and needy. At night he is a thief. The adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No one will see me then. He hides his face so no one will know him. Thieves break into houses at night and sleep in the daytime. They are not acquainted with the light. The black night is their morning. They ally themselves with the terrors of the darkness, but they disappear like foam down a river. Everything they own is cursed, and they are afraid to enter their own vineyards. The grave consumes sinners just as drought and heat consume snow. Their own mothers will forget them. Maggots will find them sweet to eat. No one will remember them. Wicked people are broken like a tree in the storm. They cheat the woman who has no son to help her. They refuse to help the needy widow. God, in his power, drags away the rich. They may rise high, but they have no assurance of life. They may be allowed to live in security, but God is always watching them. And though they are great now, in a moment they will be gone like all others, cut off like heads of grain. Can anyone claim otherwise? Who can prove me wrong? Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, God is powerful and dreadful. He enforces peace in the heavens. Who is able to count his heavenly army? Doesn't his light shine on all the earth? How can a mortal be innocent before God? Can anyone born of a woman be pure? God is more glorious than the moon. He shines brighter than the stars. In comparison, people are maggots. We mortals are mere worms. Then Job spoke again, How you have helped the powerless! How you have saved the weak! How you have enlightened my stupidity! What wise advice you have offered! Where have you gotten all these wise sayings? Whose spirit speaks through you? The dead tremble, those who live beneath the waters. The underworld is naked in God's presence. The place of destruction is uncovered. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps the rain in his thick clouds, and the clouds don't burst with the weight. He covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with his clouds. He created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundary between day and night. The foundations of heaven tremble. They shudder at his rebuke. By his power the sea grew calm. By his skill he crushed the great sea monster. His spirit made the heavens beautiful, and his power pierced the gliding serpent. These are just the beginning of all that he does, merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder? of his power. Job continued speaking, I vow by the living God who has taken away my rights, by the Almighty who has embittered my soul, as long as I live, while I have breath from God, my lips will speak no evil and my tongue will speak no lies. I will never concede that you are right. I will defend my integrity until I die. I will maintain my innocence without wavering. My conscience is clear, 
for as long as I live. May my enemy be punished like the wicked, my adversary like those who do evil. For what hope do the godless have when God cuts them off and takes away their life? Will God listen to their cry when trouble comes upon them? Can they take delight in the Almighty? Can they call to God at any time? I will teach you about God's power. I will not conceal anything concerning the Almighty. But you have seen all this, yet you say all these useless things to me. This is what the wicked will receive from God. This is their inheritance from the Almighty. They may have many children, but the children will die in war or starve to death. Those who survive will die of a plague, and not even their widows will mourn them. Evil people may have piles of money and may store away mounds of clothing, but the righteous will wear that clothing and the innocent will divide that money. The wicked build houses as fragile as a spider's web, as flimsy as a shelter made of branches. The wicked go to bed rich, but wake to find that all their wealth is gone. Terror overwhelms them like a flood, and they are blown away in the storms of the night. The east wind carries them away, and they are gone. It sweeps them away. It whirls down on them without mercy. They struggle to flee from its power. But everyone jeers at them and mocks them. Second Corinthians 1, 12-2, We, Paul and his co-workers, can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world, and especially toward you. Our letters have been straightforward, and there is nothing written between the lines and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then, on the day when the Lord Yeshua returns, you will be proud of us in the same way we are proud of you. Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice, first on my way to Macedonia and again when I return from Macedonia. Then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make plans carelessly? Do you think I am like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Yeshua, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preached to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Yeshua with a resounding yes. And through Yeshua our Amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Yeshua. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by backing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. 
but that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so that you will be full of joy, for it is by your own faith that you stand firm. So I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. For if I cause you grief, who will make me glad? Certainly not someone I have grieved. That is why I wrote to you, as I did, that so that when I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from your being joyful. I wrote that letter in great anguish with a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love I have for you. I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Yeshua's authority for your benefit, so that Hasatan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Psalm 41, 1-13 Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor! The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to help. O oh, Yahweh, I prayed, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. But my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. They visit me as if they were my friends, but all the while they gather gossip, and when they leave, they spread it everywhere. All who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst. He has some fatal disease, they say. He will never get out of that bed. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. Lord, have mercy on me. Make me well again so I can pay them back. I know you are pleased with me, for you have not let my enemies triumph over me. You have preserved my life because I am innocent. You have brought me into your presence forever. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and Amen. Proverbs 22, 5 and 6 Corrupt people walk a thorny, treacherous road. Whoever values life will avoid it. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. I want to speak to you today from our Torah portion from Deuteronomy 28, 42-68. And as I begin, I want to review a very key concept and an important principle, and that is biblical history is prophecy. I've spoken about this before, 
that the events, the historical events that happened to our forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they literally happened historically, but they also serve as a prophetic blueprint to the final end of days generation. And so another way of looking at it is a spiral staircase that you can be down on, say, this first turn of that spiral staircase and then go up two or three levels and look down and stand in the same spot two or three levels above. And it's spiraling that now this very same thing is happening 50 years later, 200 years later, um, the event is happening again with different actors playing their parts. Biblical history is prophecy. As an example, um, King Cyrus of Persia was uh, a hero because he gave an edict to the Jews who were living in exile in Persia. It was, it was Babylon, but then Babylon was conquered by the Persians. And they had been away from the land of Israel for 70 years. And King Cyrus made a proclamation that the Jews who were living in exile in Persia could return to the land of Israel and rebuild their temple. And so many key people today have made that comparison to President Trump, that he is fulfilling the role of King Cyrus in that he moved the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv back to Jerusalem and recognized that Jerusalem is the eternal capital of Israel. And he, he was a good friend, a very great friend to Israel. So many Jewish leaders and even American Christians have um, recognized him, uh, that he was playing the role of Cyrus. So again, it's a lot like a grand play, and there's a script to the play. But then different people play certain roles, the role of Joseph and everything that he went through, the role of Jacob and everything that he went through, the role of Cyrus. And so over time, the actors change. But the script remains the same. And so you may be given a script of Joseph or of Jacob or of Moses. And so anyway, coming back to this scripture that we're looking at here, biblical history is prophecy being the overarching uh, context and framework. In, in verse 48, well, I'll start with verse 45. It is written, if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and to obey the commands and decrees that he has given you, all these curses will pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed. And then the passage goes on to lay out what the curses are. And one of those curses is war comes upon the land. Verse 48. Well, I'll start with verse 47. If you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundant benefits you have received, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. You will be left hungry, thirsty, naked, and lacking in everything. The Lord will put an iron yoke on your neck, oppressing you harshly until he has destroyed you. Verse 49, the Lord will bring a distant nation against you from the end of the earth, and it will swoop down on you like a vulture. It is a nation whose language you do not understand, a fierce and heartless nation that shows no respect for the old and no pity for the young. Now, historically, this, these prophetic words did come to pass. 
Now the context is Moses is speaking these words to the children of Israel as they are about to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. So he's warning them prophetically. And in 586 BC, Israel, the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem fell to King Nebuchadnezzar. And Jerusalem came under attack. The soldiers, uh, you know, laid a siege against Jerusalem, and they were under siege for more than a year. And then finally, on the 9th of Av of 586 BC, they punched through the walls, made it into the city, and set the temple on fire. Now, the passage goes on to say it's really disgusting, you know, that parents would eat their own children. And so I got curious about that. I, I wondered, did that really happen? Did that come to pass? And I looked up in the book of Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, and he wrote a big history, a book of history about the Jewish people. And he wrote about the uh, Babylonian invasion. And in fact, he does say in Josephus that that, that is something that they encountered when, when they came in, that there was cannibalism going on. And this was again repeated in 70 AD when the Romans, the general time, General Titus of the Roman army came against the city of Jerusalem, put them under siege, and they hid behind the walls. And uh, finally, on 70 AD, on the 9th of Av, they punched through the walls and came into the city, and uh, the Romans found women eating their own children. And they thought it was so disgusting. They said, This is hor- horrific. And they also set the temple on fire and burned it to the ground. And since then, it has never been rebuilt yet. So it was fulfilled not once, but twice. In the, in the siege of 586 BC, and again in the siege of 70 AD. So now, remember, we're talking about how biblical history is prophecy. And what brought the war upon them? Verse 47, if you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundant benefits you've received. Verse 45, if you refuse to listen to Yahweh your Elohim and to obey the commands and decrees he's given you, all these curses will pursue and overtake you. So now let's look at current events. And as I record this, Afghanistan has fallen and the Taliban now has taken over the nation. The Taliban now has Kabul, the capital. The Taliban is in bed with China and has very warm relations with China. And ISIS is rearing up its ugly head. So we see war happening now, boots on the ground. There are thousands of Americans that are stuck in Afghanistan that may not be able to get out safely. And um, the, the, the nations that hate America are now going to be emboldened because this is a huge defeat for America. Russia, China, and Iran are rejoicing over the fall of America and its presence in Afghanistan. They're rejoicing. They hate America. That's something that they have in common. And so these events that are going on in the Middle East are precursor events laying 
out a stage preparing the way for eventually the Gog-Magog War where Israel comes under attack because Iran has not only a hatred for America, they have a hatred for Israel and they want to wipe Israel off the map. And they are now in cahoots with the Taliban in Afghanistan. They're, they're in alignment. And so at some point in time, America will also come under military attack. I believe we are already in a war. The war has been going on, especially ever since the, the virus, the coronavirus was released from the Wuhan lab in China. It was a biological weapon, a bioweapon that was released intentionally and purposefully. And stage two of this war is the development of this I'll call it a shot, not a vaccine, because it is not a vaccine. Uh, it's gene therapy, it's experimental, and it has all kinds of negative side effects. It, it basically tells your body, through the mRNA, tells your body to produce the spike protein, and the spike protein is what causes all the illness. The spike protein literally uh, tears the insides of your blood vessels causing inflammation, causes myocarditis, inflammation of the heart, can cause heart attack, stroke, internal bleeding, hemorrhaging, and infertility. That's stage two of the bioweapon. So people who don't do their due diligence and do their research and who just blindly take the jab are now, um, their bodies are compromised. And their immune system is compromised. So we have already been in an unconventional war for quite some time. Um, the unconventional war has included, uh, you know, a, a war in the media and communications that you can't get correct, accurate reporting in the news anymore from the mainstream media. You have to go looking in alter alternate sources to find out what's really going on because the mainstream media feeds, serves up fake news. It's propaganda, brainwashing, programming. And the war goes on in the economic world, in the political world, in the cultural world, at the universities and colleges, in Hollywood. Um, and so the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, has infiltrated much of the life of America in universities, in the halls of Congress, and the White House, um, in all kinds of governmental agencies. But now there's a point where the war is going to go kinetic. It's going to go as a hot war. In other words, conventional with military, with ammunitions. So, um, this passage that talks about a nation that swoops in, heartless, no respect for the old, a language they speak that you do not understand, attacking the cities and attacking all the towns, a siege and a terrible distress of the enemy's attack will be so severe. Um, I believe that this could very well be speaking about a future prophetic event that has not yet happened, but we're getting close to it. And the cross-reference in Scripture would be Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51. And those two chapters, if you take time on your own later to look at them slowly, read them prayerfully, talks about the downfall of the end-of-days nation known as the daughter 
of Babylon, and that this daughter of Babylon will be utterly, utterly destroyed by an invading military army. So those two chapters are definitely something to take a look at and study and read prayerfully. I believe that this end of days daughter of a uh, Babylon nation that is the hindermost, in other words, it is the youngest nation upon the earth. Which nation is the youngest nation on the earth? It's America. It's a nation that is surrounded by waters. America is surrounded by waters on the east and the west coast with the Pacific and the Atlantic. And it is a melting pot of people who've come from all nations around the world to come to this nation, America. Also, in um, this passage from Deuteronomy 28, we see about the walls, verse 52. They will attack your cities until all the fortified walls in your land, the walls you trusted to protect you, are knocked down. They will attack all the towns and the land the Lord your God has given you. Now, in ancient times, they literally had a wall around the city. There's an ancient wall around the city of Jerusalem. But here in America today, we don't have walls around cities, but we did, under President Trump, attempt to build a wall on our southern border because of all of the illegal aliens that were pouring into this nation. Well, the wall did not get finished, and under President Biden, uh, they're dismantling the wall or not continuing with it any further, and they basically signaled a green light that it's okay to come across the, the borders. They're very porous, and something like 8,000 Illegal immigrants, aliens, are coming into the country daily. So in a month, that's hundreds of thousands of people. And that is not sustainable. And many of these people, they're druggies. They're selling drugs. They're, they have diseases. They're carrying coronavirus. And they're not just coming from Latin America. These are people coming in from the Middle East. And so the walls of America are down. America is weak and vulnerable. And if a nation such as China, Iran, or Russia wanted to strike America militarily to take her resources, this would be the time to do it. America is very weak and vulnerable right now. And so again, these verses that we read, I think, really apply to what we might, might be seeing happening here very soon. Uh, continuing on in verse 59. Then the Lord will overwhelm you and your children with indescribable plagues. These plagues will be intense and without relief, making you miserable and unbearably sick. Verse 60, he will afflict you with all the diseases of Egypt that you feared so much, and you will have no relief. Verse 61, the Lord will afflict you with every sickness and plague there is, even those not mentioned in this book of instruction, until you are destroyed. Plagues. What are we dealing with right now globally? The coronavirus. It was engineered in a lab and then loosed and released upon the world. And everyone is suffering because of it. Plagues. So that's part of the judgment of the Lord, being afflicted with plagues. Yet, let me offer this hope. 
in the book of Mark. Let me just go there. The conclusion of the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So we can stand in those verses and pray them back to the Lord. And if we've been exposed to the coronavirus um, or we've come down with the coronavirus, we can stand in these verses and ask the Lord for his divine healing, that this would not damage us, that this poison, this toxic poison would not harm us. And if by chance you have taken the vax and have realized and understand now that that was a bad move, that was not a good thing to do to your body, Again, you can pray these verses and that that spike protein that is now being manufactured in your body, that God would reverse it, that he would cleanse your body, that he would purge it out of you and restore your immune system um, and, and stand on these verses. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. To pray that in faith, trusting that Yeshua can reverse this and restore health and wellness to your body. So I hope these things I have shared with you today have given you something to think about. There's one more thing I'll cover, and that's verse 64, Deuteronomy 28, verse 64. For the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship foreign gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods made of wood and stone. Now, remember, this is Moses speaking to the Hebrews as they're about to go in and take the promised land. So that's the context. And yet, it's almost like he's looking down the corridors of time and he sees what's going to happen. He sees that they are going to rebel and fall into idolatry and worship other gods and that they would be scattered. And indeed, both the northern kingdom that is, the ten tribes of the north, the house of Israel, they were scattered to all the nations when they went into exile under Assyria. Under Assyria. And when they went into exile into Assyria, they became assimilated. They forgot who they were. They forgot God's name. They forgot the book, the Torah. And they never returned. And they developed spiritual amnesia until now until these last days. And then the southern kingdom, the house of Judah, that is the Jewish part of the nation of Israel, they also were scattered. They were taken into exile in 586 BC to Babylon. Seventy years later, a small remnant of them returned to the land. But then in 70 AD, when Jerusalem fell under Roman rule, again, the house of Judah, the Jews, were scattered to all the nations of the earth. They were told they could not return to Jerusalem on pain of death. And then 
After many centuries, in May of 1948, after the World War II was over, the nation of Israel was reborn. And many, many, many Jews have returned from all over the world, from all the nations. There's about 7 million Jews now that live in Israel who've returned from all the nations. But the Northern Kingdom has not yet returned yet. But there is a day coming when they will. So again, this passage demonstrates to us that biblical history is prophecy and that what happened to our forefathers will happen once again to the end of days, final and last generation. And that is good news, my friend, because God delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt. He took them out of bondage and oppression and slavery, and he delivered them and brought them into the land and gave them freedom. And that is what's going on right now. We are seeing tyranny, fascism, oppression all over the world, in Australia, in New Zealand, in France, in America, in Canada, with all of these mandates that people must take the vaccine, and it's not a vaccine, um, taking away people's liberty and freedom, that we are like prisoners locked down, living in our own homes. And all of this oppression and tyranny is part of the end-of-day scenario of the unfolding Antichrist beast system. It is in process of rising up right now. But yet, even as God delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt, he's going to do it again. There's going to be another greater exodus to come. And he's going to gather all of his scattered remnant people from all the nations and return them back to Israel. It's something to look forward to. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Vish Mareka Yaya Adonai Anavilaka Vikuneka Yisa Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.